Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the Association of Common Sense Masculinity is proud to present the exciting, the thought-provoking Can-Am Soup, an entertaining, genuine, and often meandering conversation between two friends. And now, the stars of our show, Jeremy Gertz and Todd Fuss. <laughs> How you doing, Todd? Good. How are you? <laughs> Good. I, you know, so I was telling you just before we hit record, I've been spending some time trying to catch up with, with our recordings. Uh, we're like two months into recording. We, we haven't put anything up yet because they've just been files sitting on my computer, but... Uh, so it's last week I've listened to five of our episodes and every time our intro comes on, I'm like, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> I feel like Magnum P.I. or like some Knight Rider movie from <laughs> my childhood or something. Like, yeah, I think I think if we ever have like thumbnail images of ourselves, it should be with leather jackets and sunglasses on, you know, <laughs> <laughs> screw guns in hand, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we've had a good week so far. Yeah, it's been a week. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Um, had a hard freeze last night and the night before last, so hopefully the roses oh, made wow. it through. Yeah. yeah the the hummingbirds aren't happy. They come here first thing in the morning and stick their little beaks in the hole, and they're like, hey, <laughs> frozen water. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Do you get to see hummingbirds every day? Every day. Oh, that's cool. And That's cool. you know, these little moochers, people think they're cute. Oh, no, they're little <laughs> welfare birds because they figure out where their feeder is and they'll just sit on it all day. Like, you lazy bird. I thought you were flying around like a bullet. No, you're just sitting That's on my funny. feeder getting fat all day. That's funny. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Get lazy. You don't. Normally, they they gotta go from plant to plant or whatever, right? Yeah. And now they find the the mother load of all plants, <laughs> and it's like it, they found like the the golden corral buffet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you don't have to go work for your food anymore. You just Fourteen ounces there. of high power sugar water. Uh, yeah. Never ending. And then if it runs out and you didn't catch it, they will come knock on your window. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. really? Really? You can wait a whole day now. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I always thought it'd be so cool and it, it's expensive, but it, so I've taken like photographs like of hummingbirds and stuff and like with really long telephoto lens. I've got some amazing pictures, but I've always wanted, uh, and I've seen the footage before, but for me, there's always something about making it or taking it myself. But I've always been like, man, I wish I had a super high-speed camera, you know, so I could just take a photo or a video and just do that super slow motion to see how their wings work. That is so fascinating. And like I say, I mean, I, I know that footage is out there. You could just search it on YouTube or wherever. But uh, every time I see a hummingbird, I'm like, oh, man, I wish I had a super high-speed camera. <laughs> also, anytime I shoot something interesting, like a target, I'm like, oh, I'd love to see that in super slow-mo. Yeah. No, you know, another thing cool. about them things are is expensive. <clears throat> if one of them, I believe it's a female, starts bullying the rest of them, running it away from the feeder, yeah. the ones being bullied will come up to the window and just hover there looking in like, hey, you going to do something about Susie? <laughs> yeah. uh, 
Yeah. You tattletale? That's, God. Yeah. That's funny. How big are these hummingbirds that you have? Uh, pretty small? This time of year, they are teeny tiny. Um, not the size of... They're barely bigger than a bee. Like two of your thumbs. And uh, yeah. by the end of the year, they're the largest hummingbirds I've ever seen. But then again, they get sugar water all year, so... Yeah, yeah. Do they go somewhere? Like, I don't know anything about hummingbirds, actually. They're not migratory, are they? Or they just die off, or what? I don't know what happens. I've just not looked huh. it up, because I thought about it, and I know the first ones that come in, you know, this year were tiny, and just, just they were obviously young, right? Yeah, so I don't yeah. know if they pop out of a egg somewhere, and they're already hummingbirds, you know, that get up and fly. Hmm. Uh I haven't. I love watching them, like feeding them. You know, don't really care to go look into the rest of their physiology. I don't know why. Yeah. You know, I, I, I that that's an interesting thing because I, I feel the same way. And I wonder if it's just because the way they fly and hover is so fascinating that we're like, wow, cool. That's enough to keep our attention that we don't ask anything else about them. But it's like, what, yeah. what do they do? Like, And that actually brings me up? to my other theory about them. What's that? Way back in the day, you know, two, three, four, five, six hundred, a thousand years ago, when all of these uh, uh, fairy tales came out, um, oh, God, there's mm -hmm. fairies in the forest. I think they were just hummingbirds. Ah, that could very well be. But, you know, hmm. I got to thinking about it one day when I saw, and the sound they make, because uh, I had never heard a hummingbird make a noise except with their wings my entire life until I get here, we start feeding them and they get comfortable with you or at least a person that feeds them. And I can hold the hummingbird feeder and they'll come and land on it. Right. They, oh, wow. they make this chortling sound. Uh, and it is just so pretty and it just, did it you, mesmerizes uh, did, did me when they us? start doing it. It's a yeah. high pitched chortle and oh my Lord. It's like their song. Can you? I want. I want you to hear. I want to hear you try and do one. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I just figured it'd be kind of fun if we could get you to do it. But huh. yeah, I'm not one of those. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's funny. I, I and hmm. just yeah. so you, people don't think I'm being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk, even though I'm a jerk, I've tried to emulate the noise. For somebody, for a family member, I can't do it. So I can't even yeah. come close. Um, <clears throat> yeah, people that can uh, make animal noise are pretty interesting. There's some I can uh, make. I There's an owl noise I can make uh, because we have them here. And when they start talking yeah. at night, I just, I don't know what I'm saying an owl, but it gets them going. Really? I might be talking about their mom, you know, I don't know, giving them stock <laughs> yeah. tips. I don't know what I'm saying, but. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Uh, the When the coyotes come around, I can I can howl like them. But now, hmm. when they're making their normal chittering noises like coyotes do, they sound like teenage girls having a party. Yeah. Oh, it's so yeah. infuriating for some reason. Yeah, yeah, like we have a lot of coyotes around here. 
No, it's true. And and you'll hear them like when they're just starting. And I'm like, who is having a party? You know what I mean? I'm looking around trying to look for the campfire. Or, yeah. And I'm like, oh. Just... And then I stop for a minute. I'm like, oh, no, that's just the coyotes. Yep. Yeah, no. And, my, and that was crazy. the first thing my wife said last year. She's like, who is having a party down there? What do you mean? Sounds like a bunch of girls laughing. Oh, those are the coyotes. Yeah. No way. <laughs> yeah. And we had the HVAC guy here. And he goes, no, that's the coyotes. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, you probably never had uh, coyotes in uh, Maryland, did you? Yeah, have- but um, they were so rare. Uh, we had deer in town more than I saw a coyote in the country. Uh, huh. Because I think the Mar- the Maryland farmers do not put up with their crap like other mm. farmers do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, man, Maryland's so weird anyway. Yeah. Because they have some, um, I mean, staunch conservatives and staunch liberals there that coexist like in no other state, um, even though the whole state itself is overwhelmingly liberal in its politics. But, it's just the weirdest place. Yeah, I like Maryland. I I do. Um, like I worked at uh, BWI, had, the airport you, there. Uh, have you seen a psychologist about this condition? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I don't know what it is. Um, <clears throat> My God, Baltimore you know, going to be one of the most awful cities I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. You know, like we were staying. So I, I don't know where it was exactly. We're between, I think, Baltimore and D.C. And it was a campground. It wasn't like, it was kind of just on the outskirts of like, I don't know. It was on a freeway. And, and I mean, I was kind of younger then. I, did, I didn't really pay attention to all, all this stuff. But it was this huge campground, like massive. I don't know if they, they could have had over a thousand sites. You know, the, the type of campground that has several different like store little convenience center stores in it and stuff like that. Yeah. And um I uh, uh, man, uh, Starbucks everywhere. Uh I know you don't you don't like the blue crab. You think it tastes too dirty, but for me, I I mean man, they have that what's that? GNN or there's a, a crab restaurant right by the uh by the airport there. And their famous thing is that all their waitresses are just nasty. And I mean nasty. But their their crab cakes are to die for like famous, 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 you know? And uh so you go in there and when you sit down, they'll just they'll just set you somewhere and walk away. And then you kind of flag them down, they might look at you, they might not. You might sit there for ten minutes, maybe twenty. It's like, Can I get your menu? Fine. And then she'll walk away and she'll literally take the menus, throw them on the table and walk away. When you want to order, uh, I was actually with my brother in law. And we we're sick and tired of waiting. And finally, <laughs> one was walking by, and he could do the whistle with his, you know, stick your fingers in your mouth. And she's about three feet away from him. He goes, <laughs> and she looks. She goes, "You ready to order?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm ready to order now." But I don't know. We we enjoy it. Like we used to go downtown, like Baltimore, to like the old town or whatever it is. And and like there's a, oh no, I know there's a big Barnes and Noble down there. And the the one thing I always remember is that we had. What year was it? I think it was like a 94 Chevy. It was the full crew cab, full eight-foot box, dually. It's about the biggest pickup truck you could buy. 
And I remember being in some of these turning lanes, these left-hand turning lanes, and I was like one wheel over each line. <laughs> like they, they did not make it for that truck. And I remember driving around, sometimes in traffic, I'd be making a left, and there wasn't room with all the cars and stuff. I'd have to start my turn, back up, and then complete it. Like it was, that's the only thing I remember about going down, not, not the only thing, but we loved going down there, but man, it was such a pain in that big, huge truck. But you know what? You got out-of-town plates. People, <laughs> I just drove wherever I wanted to. It's like, I'm not from around here. Sorry. That was always my excuse. I always like driving somewhere with uh, with not local plates because then I felt like I could get away with stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I, liked, I was there during the uh, the DC shooting. Um, in fact, you know that the gas station that guy was shot at? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was there, it was about five to seven minutes before he got shot. I filled up there. And wow. there's another gentleman. I think, we've, I, don't know, I don't know if we've I've talked about this before, but there's this gentleman, uh, David Irving, Evader Knives on Instagram, YouTube. Uh, he was there within five minutes of me. And it's funny because he sent in some knives for viewers' knives. And he's got a YouTube channel. And now we're like, you know, we're Instagram buddies. We kind of, we're friends on the internet, right? Which is kind of a lot of friendships are uh, these days, um, you know, like yourself and myself included, like we've never met, but we're friends, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was so weird to think that way back then, you know, this thing that the whole world knew about, I came up from Alberta, you know, I don't know how many thousand kilometers away. And I was there, narrowly missed the shooter. The shooter's in the back of his car. He, he may have seen me. He may have been watching me, right? And then this guy, Dave, he may have seen him too. Neither one of us were shot, but within 15 minutes of both of us being there, guy was shot. And then we meet on YouTube because we're, we've gotten into the hobby of knife making and, and it's so crazy how small the world is, you know, but shoot, when did you live in, in Maryland from when to when, uh, from January, 2006 until last year. Okay. Even though I was wondering if there's any chance living between the two places for two years, you know, we yeah, moved yeah. out for good last year. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, uh, I, was, I was thinking, I was like, who knows? Like, our paths could have crossed on the freeway, but we were, I think this was like 2002, 2003 that I was in, in Maryland. I don't, I don't know when it was exactly, but yeah, it was after, just after, shortly after we got married. Uh, I think the largest campground between... Uh, Baltimore, D.C. is Cherry Hill Park. Yeah, that that was the one. That was the one. I remember that. When you say that name, it, it recall. I recall it. Yeah, one of their little stretches there in the back is Badlands Gulch. Hmm. Really? <laughs> Watch a John Wayne movie, nice did you? Yeah, yeah. Nice place to stay. That's funny. Yeah, that's crazy. I, you know what? I, I did like Baltimore, but that was like a dark time in our life. So we had that happen. That was around the same time as the anthrax scare. Yeah. Um, and, and then we had a peeping Tom in our fifth wheel, legit. And, you know, I was home one night. We, we couldn't work. There's something going on at the airport. And I was working night shifts the whole time, which sucked. And the trailers, they got these weird noises. And I asked Steph, I said, what's going on? And she goes, oh, no, that happens every night at this time. I'm like, what the heck? So I get one of those big mag lights. That's, you know, the bigger ones you could buy at Target or Walmart. I go out there and there's this little puke on the back ladder staring and watching us. 
And, uh, man, I yelled at that kid and I had him. So I, I called the police, talked to them, said, oh, don't touch the kid, whatever, whatever. And I thought, you know what, kid, listen up here. I'm going to like this. It was such a big campground. I thought I got to get to the front gate. Right. And I called security at the campground and all this stuff. And I said, you stand in front of my truck here, right in the dead center. I said, we're going to go slow. But if you go to the right or to the left, I'm going to run you over. Uh, didn't work. <laughs> he got away, but oh, I was pissed off. And uh, I, I, I talked to the police. I said, I got this peeping Tom. This kid's been spying on us. He's trespassed, blah, blah, blah. And I said, whatever you do, do not touch that kid. And I said, can I tie him up? <laughs> he said, absolutely not. <laughs> he said, you don't touch that kid. I'm like, well, you better get over here quick. And no, got away. But uh, so, so with all that stuff happening and it was just like, ugh. I remember when we, we finished the job. It was also a difficult job. Um, uh, things didn't go very smoothly. Uh, there's some issues. Some of the folks that we had to deal with at, at the airport there were just not nice people. You know, they're the kind of people involved in these projects that never get fired because they get results, but nobody ever wants to work with them because they're ruthless. And, you know, the bottom line is the only thing that matters. There's no, they're not working with people. They're working with dollar signs. And so if he can get you to do a little bit of extra for free, he will. And he won't thank you for it. And then a couple of days later, he'll be like, hey, what about this? Who's in, who's in this? I said, it's not our scope. Well, I need you to take care of it for me, buddy. And I'm like, okay, fine. Do it. Not a word. And then the next day, and finally got the punch. Like, I'm sorry. His name was Rob. I won't say his last name because he still works in the air. He actually worked for the airport at the end of the project. But it's kind of like, nope, sorry, not helping. What do you mean? I'm not doing that. That's not my scope. Well, who's going to take care of it? I said, well, see, that's not really my problem. That's yours. Yeah, but you've always come through for me. I said, and you haven't ever said thank you once, have you? I said, no, I'm leaving. My, my job's done here. And we kind of left him high and dry a little bit, but anyways, well, no. meandering on I think he did Baltimore. that to himself. Yeah, no, this is true. I hate, you know, it's, I hate PMs for that very reason because they, they get themselves in the situation. They come to the, the people they know they can get to do things and not compensate them. Mm-hmm. Sorry. You know, you only get me yep. once. Yeah. Yeah, we had that all the time. Because um, working with, with the airports, you know, the airlines, it, it all depended. Like, you know, a lot of times of Southwest Airlines, we did tons of work with them. They want to do an improvement. A lot of times they have to pay for it, right? And they'll get the approvals from the airport, say, hey, listen, we'd like to add in another carousel. We want a sortation system. We want more ticket counter space. They'll be like, okay, yeah, we'll approve it but you have to pay for the equipment. I'm like, okay, fine. And so when you're doing these jobs, you end up working with the airline who's ultimately paying us. Uh, There's small things that like, you know, part of their tenancy agreement that the airport had to pay for and look after. And then most often, if it was any significant project, they'd hire a consultant. And uh, there's a number of airline baggage consultants, but really they're just, they're a waste of skin. I mean, they, they know a bit about the system, but... The concept is that the airline would hire this consultant to make sure that the contractor doesn't take advantage of them. And the funny thing is, like, if you want to manufacture and sell airport baggage conveyors in the U.S., you have to have an FAA approval. And in order to get that, you have to have proven equipment for 10 years. So kind of when they brought in this blanket regulation. uh, No, you can't get in, though. What happens is that there's like three or four companies. I have to... um, I have to say, yeah, you can bribe those guys. Some of them. 
Yeah, maybe in different parts of the aviation industry, but yeah. for baggage conveyors, I don't think anybody cares because it's not well, a lot oh, of money. Oh, okay. In it. The the maintenance inspectors for aircraft. Yeah, there was a yeah, there was a time stuff. between. I think all the records I saw were from like nineteen ninety to twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen, yep. and oh god, it was left, right, and center. Planes not being inspected. They were getting signed off on, and inspectors had new cars. Yeah, really? Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can spend, as an airline, I can spend, you know, 50 or $60 million in one quarter fixing airplanes, or I can just buy you a $30,000 car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what makes more sense? But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that part of it, but. So when this happened with these baggage things, like unless you're some guy, it's like, hey, I've invented a new carousel and I'm going to give it to an airline. I'm not going to charge them for it. They can use it at this small little thing. And then once it's been used for 10 years, then you can have the FAA approve it. So it, it basically, when they brought that blanket uh, policy and it was just like, okay, this is the old boys club. And it's about four companies. Uh, you can't get into it. And it's funny because, you know, after 9-11, Everybody thought there's a lot of money in EDS, explosion detective systems, right? It's like, oh, there's going to be fortune in this. So all these companies were bought up. Like Boeing bought up one of our major competitors. Lockheed Martin <laughs> bought up one of our major competitors. And then once they realized the budgets that were coming out and this and that, they're like, oh, never mind. This is still the airline industry. This is still airline bagging industry. There's no money to be made here. And then they just got rid of them again, sold them again. But... Uh, it was actually a really long, interesting story how my dad ended up getting a company uh, that had FAA approval. But so anyways, these companies that do airline baggage systems, there's I think it's like four or six of them in North America and they change hands. Sometimes they get renamed, but ultimately it's the same people. And, and same thing, like when I stopped working for my dad, people found out and I had phone calls. Uh, the head of uh, Southwest Airlines Maintenance said, listen, I'll fly down here. We'll give you whatever paperwork you need. You need to move to Texas and work for us. Because I knew the equipment very well. A lot of times they'd send their guys out to a job site to fix something that we were putting new equipment in. Their guys wouldn't know what to do. So I'd be like, here, I'll show you. I'll do this and this, right? Like, I mean, you do you do airport baggage conveyors for like 15 years. You get decent at it, right? Oh, yeah. Especially when most people are bored, af bored after four years and they go somewhere else. But anyways, so it's not like these companies are going to screw an airline, because it's it's not like car dealerships in a major metropolis, right? Like it's it's a small little club. It's an old boys club. If you don't do right by this airline on this job, everybody will know about it. So I, I guess the whole point I was getting to is like, I don't know why they have these consultants. But so these consultants look after, they kind of write up what everybody's responsible for, this and this and this. And without fail, every job, they would forget a detail. And the reason they forget a detail is because they've never really worked long enough in the industry actually putting physical conveyors into physical spaces, right? They'll they'll approve drawings, they'll do this, and the consultant says everything's good, and you get the site. You start putting the stuff that comes, you know, from the ticket level that's upstairs through the concrete floor, and it's like, oh, okay, cool, we got this four-foot HVAC duct. Whose scope is that to move it? Well, who put that there? <laughs> it's like, well, judging by, like, the 14 layers of dirt and dust on it, I think it's been there for a while. What didn't show up on our architecturals? I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Somebody needs to move it. You think you can move that for me, Jeremy? I'm like, no. 
First of all, you, I think you need some type of a certification to make that move, and I don't have it, you know? And uh, all the time, they'd forget all kinds of stainless trim piece. You know, like we'd pull out an old ticket counter that, you know, the stainless at the very back of the conveyor might have been like three foot high. And the ones that we put in were always 21 inches. And so I'd pull it all off and they'd realize, oh, the wall finishings went to the top of the old stainless. And now we've got this ugly space that was from the 70s. Who's, who's, hey, Jeremy, got some stainless to fill that in? Like, no, that's not our scope. Well, what do you mean it's not your scope? <laughs> and I'd say, this is what we sold you. These are the drawings we have. We don't have stainless for that. Could you help me out, buddy? <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> and the reason I talk like that is because there's one, one guy from Texas, he's, he's did this to us all the time. And I can't say his name because he's still kind of a, He's a bigger guy in the industry. He actually bought himself uh, a MiG fighter jet. And uh, that's how much money he makes as a consultant. He can actually own and fly a MiG. He had it over a million bucks to get it approved to bring to the U.S., had it decommissioned. And uh, he just goes around to different air shows as a private pilot and owner of a fighter jet. But, yeah, no, it was crazy. And with this job in Baltimore, I guess it's been a long rabbit trail. <laughs> this job in Baltimore was just that nonstop. And then they try to make you look bad in front of the airlines, be like, oh, well, I guess GNS isn't going to do this for us. I was like, ah, actually, that wasn't in our scope. You know, you approved every single drawing, every single manufacturing drawing was approved by you, and this part wasn't on it. And we had no intent to provide this because this isn't usually our scope. Usually it's a general contractor scope who looks after building finishes. So uh, we're not letting anybody down here. This was something you missed. And it was just that constantly fighting with people. And yeah, I don't know. Interesting job. Glad to have it over. Yeah, I couldn't do what any other job ever again dealing with either the government or giant corporations. Yeah. It's infuriating. Yeah. I always say you could get rid of 90% of every white-collar job in North America, and as long as you keep the proper 10%, the exact same amount of work will get done. And I believe that to a fact of the matter. Like you say, the government, that's one thing I hated about being a project manager is that you go to these meetings and it's like, okay, we want this here. Does this look good? We've got these two options. And I end up finding out there's seven people that all have to agree on it. And they'll try and get you to convince, okay, tell me why this should work. It's like, well, because this option does this or this option does this. It's just kind of a preference thing. You know, what's the volume like here? Well, depends. Well, you just tell me what you want. I'll give you either one of them. There's two ways to do this. Two most common industry standard ways to do this. And, oh, it's like, why are there seven people talking about this? There's one of me. I could tell you what I would do. Oh, it's just incredible how much, how much uselessness in, in white collar America. And I find, especially in building and development, <laughs> it's just like, wow. Oh, if you got a couple skilled people you know, tradespeople that were half decent at, at reading drawings and communication. Oh, get rid of all the white collar project managers and just put these guys in their place and everything will get done. They know how to talk to the guys on site. They know how to go to site and see actual problems that are going to come up. Oh, this physical space isn't going to allow for what you designed here. Why not? Because of this. How do you know that? It's you know why? I've tried this before, you know. You know why white collar became so heavy with useless? Why is that? Useless people is the the machine that part of that machine that ultimately reaches its hand out from university 
had to find a place for all these useless people getting useless degrees that if they went into blue collar, they would just be sweeping a floor because they can't do anything mm. else. Yeah. That's interesting. Sorry. I never really thought if, about it like that. Because <clears throat> I've met most of these people, uh, all kinds of these people. <clears throat> most, <clears throat> I've met every type of person, right, that does those sorts of jobs. Yeah. If you had to have them take a real job, it would involve, you want fries with that? Because they can't mm-hmm. do anything else. Yeah. If yeah. if you have two master's degrees, a bachelor's, and you're working on your doctorate, and you can't figure out how to put paper in a Xerox machine, you should yeah. just be taken out and shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because my know, little uh, dumb self with a high school diploma figured that out in the 90s, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. And I, I often wonder or think about how big is the impact of this, I'm going to call it a machine, this education machine, speaking specifically of uh, post-secondary education in the way that people assume that, oh, when you're out of high school, which university are you going to and what are you going to study? Not necessarily, what do you want to do with you? What do you want to become? What, what do you enjoy and, and you want to do for day in, day out for years in order to pay for a lifestyle? That's not the question. It's like, oh, what are you going to major in? What, what school are you going to go to? Well, why are you going to? No, nobody says, why are you going to school, right? Like, I remember my wife, like when I, well, I dropped out. I don't have a grade 12 education. And, uh, but when I dropped out, I immediately rolled in trade school because you only need a grade 10 education, Alberta at the time. And so I had a plan. I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm sick and tired of these little brackets, these long, complicated equations on a piece of paper making me feel stupid. So I enrolled in apprenticeship school, dropped out of high school. And uh, when I was 21 years, I, years old, I became a journeyman millwright with a red seal in Alberta. And so that ticket is basically a guaranteed minimum wage. That was good. That was decent, right? Um, and it was a great path in life. Now, I didn't accrue any student debt. In fact, like in Alberta, when you you get laid off, so you, you work for 10 months of the year, get your hours, and then for two months of the year, you go to school, you get paid employment insurance. And many em- employers will actually buy your books for you and they'll pay your tuition. Uh, even as such, I mean... The books, you know, you could you could go to school like for one year of your millwright school would cost you, I would guess, between like a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks. Pretty cheap education when you come out of it. And the minimum wage in Alberta is like thirty-six to forty-two bucks an hour, you know, in the city. Never mind if you go up north. So it's like, man, what a great option for life that is. I, I don't have any debt. <laughs> you, you start out with your degree, with your certification, fully enter the workforce, which you've been in the workforce the whole time. And it's like, oh, I don't have any debt. I don't owe people money for this education. And all of a sudden, I'm making a decent amount of money, more money than a lot of people with a bachelor's degree by a long shot, you know? And, you know, and I remember, like, my wife, when she was done high school, she just wanted to be a lifeguard and a swimming instructor. And I remember we'd go to the family functions, and people would be like, so what university are you in? What are you doing for school? And she goes, I honestly don't know, so I'm just going to work for a while. I'm like, well, you got to go to university right away. I'm just like, why? 
well, it's just what you got to do. It's like, I don't know what I'd like. Eventually, I'd like to be a mom and I'd like to be a stay-at-home mom and have a family. I don't really need an, <laughs> a university degree for that. And then, uh, you know, and so my wife did that. And I have an uncle who had two doctorate degrees and then became a missionary and has never had a job in his life. And when I say that he's a missionary, I say he's a moochinary. <laughs> you know, these missionaries. No, and, and I'm telling you, like, like, I'm a Christian. I go to church. But I honestly think people need to be a little bit more realistic. And I think Christians need to stand up a bit and say, hey, listen, I honestly think that like 60% or more, and this is because I've actually lived in the mission field. I've lived in Venezuela. I've lived in Russia with missionaries. I've gone to missionary schools. Uh, but most missionaries do it because they're lazy, <laughs> just like a lot of pastors. And this is harsh. I know a lot of pastors that are only doing because <laughs> they're lazy. I have an uncle who's a pastor, and it's just because he's, he's either that or a security guard because <laughs> they don't want to work for a living. You know, the idea of putting coveralls and getting hands dirty or something that involves some type of a strenuous effort, whether it be mental effort or physical effort. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to be a missionary. <laughs> so they do. And I've got an uncle who's literally never had a paycheck from a company, but has two doctorate degrees. Neither of them were related to him being a missionary. <laughs> and I'm just like, I always wonder this whole machine, this post-secondary education thing that we've started. What, I, I always wonder what the incredible cost and impact to North America that is. You know, how many billions has it cost in, you know, debt that people have accrued and never actually paid off with the education that they got. And then people that we've lost, you know, you go to university forever, there's people not in the workforce. Well, you know, I'm I don't gonna... know. It's interesting. I'll share this. I have a high school education. I have some college, two certifications, but no actual degree. Right? I'm. Mm -hmm. I actually could. I, I actually could have two degrees. Right. But I choose not to. I have enough credits. I f finished all of the stuff. You know, over the years taking courses. Mm -hmm. I just you know poop on it. I don't need it. I have very strong feelings against it, um, and I'm 53 years old. I've been retired for two years, mm -hmm. and when I retired, I was making more money than my boss because mm -hmm. of my expertise in the field in which I was working. That agency wanted me to work for them. So they did pay setting when they hired me and, you know, I made quite a bit of money. Uh, yeah. What's pay setting? I've never heard of that term. In the federal, in the U S federal government, oh, when you're coming on board, you go through a pay setting uh, process and it's based on your experience, your education and the grade of job you're applying for. And there's a scale oh, okay. they can set you on Right. But if you go outside yeah. of that, you have to go to this, to a, this pay setting process. Um, and generally it is a hundred percent based on somebody's experience. We yeah. need this in our agency. This is why we need it. This is why this person meets it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
and they actually the a lot of the federal government at the higher grades and engineering fields. NASA used to do it, but you know we gutted NASA, uh, and now we're going to let Elon Musk take us to the moon. Uh, yeah. Ugh. For the first time. <laughs> How many times is that going to blow up before we get to the moon? Yeah. Just saying. Here's um, a here's a question. We don't we don't need to get into controversy. Do you believe they've been to the moon? Yes, of course. Huh. I do not. Well, you're wrong. Um, and I know that <laughs> I didn't stand on the moon, but you know, just saying, uh, yeah. <laughs> after, it's funny cause I get- after the recording, uh, I'll share something with you, but cannot be during the recording. Uh, okay. Um, anyway, I guess, you know, for next week, if we come back and I believe in the moon landing, then you know that secret was pretty powerful. Because <laughs> I'm gonna say it's gonna take a it's gonna take a heck of a lot to convince. I also I've got some radical. You know it's funny because you and I get along great. Yeah. And I think it's because we're both mature. But even things like, so this is gonna be one that's gonna rattle your cage. And I I believe that September 11th was an inside job. Nope. I know it, it's I, crazy, I'll, right? I'll share something with you about that too. <laughs> Okay, cool. <laughs> but um, now I will tell yeah, you, it was an inside job, but it wasn't an inside the United States job. Yeah, and I'll tell and you, and I I could definitely believe that because uh, you know, this whole like people think that it's just like okay, this government looks after this people, and that's all there is to it. No, 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 no. Money, 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 money. Who runs the world? Right? Who are the people of power in the world? You think you can't influence government officials to do things? You think you can't buy people? You're wrong. You buy anything and anyone if the price is right. Well, that's the lens that I view a lot of the things that happen on if Earth, anyone, including COVID. If anyone, and within the sound of my voice, does not believe that politics corrupts absolutely and enriches absolutely, you're a moron. <clears throat> yeah. Now, is every politician corrupt? No, but they're the ineffectual ones. Yeah. Because um, foreign money, domestic industrial money, control Washington, D.C. They control... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, they control the Canadian government. I'm not as oh, hundred percent. I'm not as you know uh, up on you know the dark dealings in your government, but your current you know head of state is about as corrupt as anyone who's ever been corrupt has been. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, <clears throat> like the reason they won't allow us to build a pipeline to ship oils because. There's a Trudeau, uh, you know, the, part of their family trust. They've got a company that makes, I think it's 7% off of any oil imported into Canada. And so by not allowing this pipeline to go through, we import oil from Saudi Arabia. And of all the oil that comes in, 7% of it, I might be, might be wrong on that, but it is a significant percentage, which, you know, in, in an import type of thing, that's a pretty big deal, right? Um he it goes straight into his he's lining his family's pockets 
is lining their trust fund. Like the the Trudeaus are getting filthy rich, and people are like, oh, let, let's just pay Greta Thunberg, which you know she came up through here and she's paid by Justin Trudeau's group. Do a tour of Canada right before the elections. Talk about how oil's so bad and that how dare you? And and then everybody's like, yeah, Trudeau, and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna shut down the pipeline. Well, no kidding. No kidding you're going to shut it down because it means more money for you. And I don't know why people aren't willing to look at that, you know. Um, Cause even stupid. with things like, yeah. like with, And I don't want to get too into it because it's like, ah, whatever. You know, it's kind of uh, listening to all of our podcasts this week. <laughs> like we've, <laughs> you know, well, um, it'd be nice to tone it back a little bit, but. Here's my theory. This this is something. I've had a few people, like, we've been selling old crap from our house, getting rid of stuff, huge 40-yard dumpster, cleaning up our property, right? So we're selling all these quads and these go-karts that kids aren't going to finish and blah, 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 blah. And everybody comes in and is like, oh, do I need to wear a mask? I'm like, no. Not. If you want, if you're nervous, I'll put a mask on for you, even though this is my property. But I do not believe that you need to wear a mask, neither do I. And he's like, oh, so nice to meet somebody. And so we'll get to talking about it and blah, 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 blah. And I tell people, I said, you know, I've got this really whacked out theory, and this is something I've I've never heard anybody say it, but I think that this is World War III, that China has won, that nobody knew except for China, that we're fighting. Because you look at what happens with these Wuhan sniffles. Uh, First of all, they right away, you know, put a real crippling blow to our economy, which isn't felt yet, right? It's going to be two to five years from now that we're going to be like, holy crap. Um, that happens. And then they start pitting everybody against each other. So as a country, we are entirely divided with each other and we're angry with each other and we're locked up at home. We can't go locally and shop. So we have to order everything on Amazon and it all comes from China. Uh, wow. You, you know, if you look at what's the purpose of going towards to gain power and Here's the thing is that Canada has given all this money. We're going all these stimulus packages. We're going into debt. Who are we borrowing the money from? We're borrowing it all from China. And there's going to be a point, and I don't know if we're there yet, but it's going to be soon where of the money that Canada has, the debt they have, you know, China will own more money in Canada than Canada does. And when that happens, what happens? Ah, you know what? Since you can't pay your debt, we'd like your country, please. Like, I honestly, truly think that this is World War III and the sheeple, which is almost every single person on earth who believes our government, don't see what's happening, including our governments, or they're getting paid, right? Like the wealthy and the super rich elite, they they play by completely different rules. It was Princess, whatever the big elephant-eared guy in England is, who's that guy, Charles? Yeah. He's the one who really wants to push the Great Reset. Well, here, Charles, here's the deal. If you reset, I'll reset. So if you own nothing and you'll enjoy it, I will own nothing and enjoy it. But as far as I'm concerned, you kind of want to take everybody in the lower classes, strip them of everything, making them dependent purely on the government, which is communism. But you're not going to reset, are you? You're not going to do this great reset that the world needs to end poverty, are you? Or Just curious? No, of course not. <laughs> it's the same thing with, you know, we see it even at lower levels where, and in Christmas time in Alberta, nobody's allowed to travel anywhere. And dozens of politicians at every level, it could be local government, could be provincial, federal, they all went to Mexico and Hawaii and this and that. And it's like, do as I say, not as I do. 
Come on, sheeple of the world. Stay home. It's dangerous out there. I'll be back in two weeks. I'm going to Hawaii. You know what I mean? Oh, no. People don't realize it. We can agree. What's that? Yeah. I said on this, we can agree because 100%. Yeah. Politicians do not have the interest of their country. And that's why I believe we we need way less politicians, more patriots, because I've said it here before. The, the My definition of a patriot is someone who will protect his country, even if that means from its own government. And right now, Canada <clears throat> needs to be protected from its own government. Because this is a, you know, in uh, between Ontario and Quebec right now, they've got police at the roads. So you're not allowed to go between uh, provinces. You know, the rest of the world is opening up. People are like over with it and moving on with their lives. And we're getting tighter and tighter down here. We're cracking down. You know, we got the fourth wave. Our little Justine Trudy talks about the fourth wave coming. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Well, I, just so people don't think I'm a liberal or I'm a Republican or a conservative, sorry. I'm a constitutionalist. But anyway, I'm going to alienate both sides of the fence. Greta isn't a patriot, and neither is Trump. He's trying to be, I think, in his heart now. He's alienated everyone in his life, you know, through, you know, from the beginning of his career till now. He's just completely alienated everyone. He was left alone. So he's like, oh, what do I have left? Oh, yeah, the people that used to watch my show. Let me get them on my side mm-hmm. politically. And he was very uh, successful at that in the wrong manner. But anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, Greta's a tool, and I know that's a double entendre, and I mean it both ways. Uh, she's also has the IQ of a piece of broccoli. Mm-hmm. If she believes half <laughs> yeah. the stuff that comes out of her mouth, which I believe she does, and that's what makes her so effective, um, she's a zealot, but she has, again, the IQ of a piece of broccoli. Not to put broccoli down. Yeah. But just saying. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's supposed um, to be a super you know, fruit or super food, but, you know. Oh, I love broccoli. She, oh, so My wife I, does this quinoa uh, broccoli salad. Oh, it's so good. I the hate castle. cauliflower, though. Uh, not really? Can't stand I love, it. I love it's disgusting. All, I huh. That's good. You're wrong. Todd, your personal preference is incorrect. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, you know, it's interesting because what was that? What was the, uh, degree that she said? Was it like 1.2 degrees Celsius or 2.1? If, if the world's waters go up by that, we're all going to die. Cause she was very, very specific. I forget what it was, but it's interesting. I, I was looking up after her little, how dare you speech. Uh, all the scientists are, are trying to figure out where she got the number from. Well, <laughs> <You know, laughs> like, what, 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 where's this? Is this something we haven't seen? Because she just pulled that out of a hat. And yeah. it's like, wow. And, and you know, you know like and Al Gore the invented the internet, are, you know? Yeah. Jesus Christ. And people always say, oh, our glaciers are all melting. And I always say, well, tell me this. How did the glaciers freeze in the first place? That's a really weird one to me. They weren't born frozen. You know, yeah, because obviously ice is at one point had to have been water. Especially you look at the way the glaciers are, it, it looks like a river flowing through. So how did that happen? Obviously, at one point, we were warmer than we are now. So is this necessarily a bad thing? 
Do you think you really know everything about the world? And people just can't. They can't bring themselves to even think about that. It's like, I asked them that. Say, how did the glaciers get there? Well, it doesn't matter. They're melting. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anyways. Those poor polar bears. Lighthearted. I'll tell you what. If you're so worried about it, adopt one. Yeah, that's right. You'll lose your joy for them right away. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, man. You know, the pictures make me nervous. Uh, You know, you see like a National Geographic or something like that. Have you ever seen that picture of that guy getting chased around an SUV by a polar bear? No. It's like a series of... I don't know where I saw it. It was on the internet or... I forget. But it's it's probably like eight or nine pictures and somebody's just snapping them. And it's this guy and he's in a, a, I don't know, Land Cruiser, a bigger SUV of some sort. And this is probably like the 80s. And he's being chased around this thing by a polar bear. And the whole time, like the polar bear's back when he's on all fours is a, a little bit higher than this SUV. <laughs> and you see this picture and you look at it and it's like that polar bear could literally just stand up, reach his arm over the SUV and pick this guy up. <laughs> this guy keeps going around and around. I don't know how the end is. I've just seen those pictures and every time I saw him, I just got nervous. I'm like, oh, couldn't stand that. No, but I have but seen anyways. the uh, actual video of... Uh, an indigenous family, uh, a mother and a baby. Uh, she was doing her, I'm going to use air quotes, people, quote, unquote, grocery shopping, right? She comes mm-hmm. back home to her hut, uh, and she's taking the groceries, again, quote, unquote, into the hut, and the polar bear takes the kid off the uh sled and starts eating it like it's a seal wow. and mom comes out and you know does the most intelligent thing in the world runs over with a stick and starts hitting the thing and you know yeah she gets mauled i'm like yeah i'm not yeah. so much worried about saving those at this point yeah yeah it's like snakes they've out used They've outlived their usefulness. I am pretty sure we have chemicals that can take care of everything we depend upon snakes to take care of. We should eradicate them. Sorry. Same with spiders. Do you think so? I hate spiders. I'm not, uh, but I honestly truly think that every single thing needs to be here. Uh, and, and I think, you know, like if there's a spider in my garage, I kill it. And I get quite a few of them. There's certain times a year where they get bad. And the worst part is that, like, I hate spiders. I hate spiders. I'm not, like, phobic, but they'll go and they've got a lot of, this one corner where I hang up my jackets because it's right at the door. I don't know how many times I've gone to put on my jacket to go outside and all of a sudden there's a spider crawling up my neck. And it just, oh, my goodness. Like, just the heebie freaking jeebies, man. Like, I'm like, ah! Oh, I'm Dude, the, the same dance. way I'm about waiting. spiders. And... Yeah. And I will tell you another reason, along with what we were talking about prior to the show, that I wouldn't move here if I had to do it all over again, is spider. This mm. upper Cumberland level region of Tennessee has some prehistoric level spiders. I've been all really? over the world. I've seen all kinds of spiders. There's two species of spider here in upper Cumberland, Tennessee, that are prehistoric level, and they just gross me out every time I see him. I'm just like, ah, where's my shotgun? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't do That's one thing I didn't, like when we lived in Venezuela, uh, some spiders, but we had scorpions too, right? And it's like, ugh. 
um, I got stung by, and they weren't like, there's different levels of them. I remember one night I got up in the middle of the night, I was thirsty, and I stepped on a scorpion and it got me. Yeah. And then one time I was, I was playing baseball as an outfielder and I was bored out of my mind because nobody could hit. And so I laid down on the field and I put my arms down beside me and I took my glove off and uh, basically the stinger was between my fingers and Ow. the scorpion itself was right under my palm and just like this and it's like look like a size of a golf ball and I'm like ah and that stuff doesn't bother me as much as spiders like spiders even the smallest one like we don't have any dangerous spiders here I don't think I think we get the odd black widow very rare but man, the most harmless spider, little tiny black spiders, little gray spot, whatever. Oh my goodness, I can't stand them. I've got one of those. Have you seen those bug assault guns? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of my YouTube viewers sent me one, which is awesome. It's, I was at Cabela's, like, no Bass Pro Shops, probably a week before. And I asked Steph, can I buy one of these? And they're like 70 bucks. They're not, not cheap. It's like, no, that's, you're not buying that. You're not spending your money on that. And then uh, I got a message saying, hey, I sent you something. It's coming directly from Amazon. Just want to say thanks for all the videos you do. And it was a bug assault version two. And I'm like, this is the best. So I have that loaded. I probably shoot uh, at least three or four spiders a week, sometimes that many a day. But I take pleasure in it. <laughs> I'm not a, not a live and let live when it comes to my room. But I kind of think outside they're needed. Well, like I, I said, with snakes... Whatever we depend on upon them to control, we have chemicals for that. Sorry, but we do. Yeah, but what, what are the other you, effects of chemicals? I'm sorry, what? What about the negative effects of some chemicals? Outweigh the positive effects of snakes. Sorry. It, yeah, uh, I'm one but, who believes in natural balance. But we have harmless snakes, not to my nerves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, we can get, we have like garter snakes here and you go south, like in Lethbridge, they get rattlers and stuff. And then you go a little bit east and there's rattlesnakes, but really not much to worry about. They say Alberta has no rats. See, so that's cool. The problem cool. here is we have really helpful snakes, like black snakes, and but we have copperheads and an, one of the other uh, timber rattlesnake and a... Baby black snake can either be black or modeled looking exactly like a copperhead. Mm. So, you know, sorry, you disguise yourself as one. Yeah. Guess what? I'm going to treat you like one. Yeah, you go. Yeah. Uh, but had, in all uh, seriousness, what? I don't kill black snakes. I don't kill baby black snakes because we have rodents out here in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And they help, but God help a rattlesnake if I see it. I'm going to kill it like 10 times. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's such a weird thing, too, because when I say, oh, wait, first wait, wait. Of all, I believe it's illegal it's... in Tennessee to kill a rattlesnake. So, no, I will not kill them. <laughs> Good call. We could either edit that out or just leave your caveat here. I'll leave the um, caveat. We, um, when I lived in Venezuela, I remember one time they have coral snakes there, which are very oh, small, yeah. very deadly. Had one and in my mom in and my, I were uh, in between my storm door and front door in Florida. Oh wow! Somebody put it there because we didn't have coral snakes in Tampa. Really? Yeah. Wow. Don't like you government workers. 
Well, we were both active duty uh, military then, <clears throat> and uh, this guy Oscar, our next door neighbor, um, I wasn't home, and Danette, you know, came home. And there was a snake there, so she went and got Oscar, and Oscar was like, "Oh my God, that's a coral snake!" Because he grew up around them, and uh, mm. he's like, "They're not indigenous. Somebody put that thing there, or you know, we're keeping an illegal pet and put it out in the wild." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so my mom and I once we were in walking to, I think it was supper, because when, when we were in Venezuela, there's a school there, and it served like Venezuela, Brazil, and Colombia. And the idea was it was a U.S. school in South America. So a lot of the uh, missionaries from the U.S. that still wanted their kids to get a U.S. education, they would live here. So they had the dormitories there. They had K to 12, no, 1 to 12. And... You know, so these kids, their parents were missionaries all over different parts of South America. And we were going to supper because, you know, three meals a day were there. You didn't have to, but we did a lot. It was kind of nice because I was got to hang out with my friends like all the time. It was an interesting living arrangement. But my mom and I were walking down the road and this car is coming and they drive normal, right? So uh, they drive on the right-hand side of the road just like we do in North America. And this car is coming towards us on its own side of the road. And all of a sudden it swerves. And it pulled over right in front of us. I thought, it, like, I thought we were dead, and I thought somebody was like coming to kill us. And it swerved, and and it probably stopped about two feet from us, three feet from us, like this, and then slammed the brakes on right when it's about just past us. And it gets out, and it looks, and it points right in front of us. There was a coral snake, and it ran over it because it was a little bit dark out. We wouldn't have seen it. We would have walked right into this snake, and this total stranger. Then I went and just, and just hit it. And I was like, holy smokes. So we thanked him so much. And I was like, that was pretty rad. But yeah, man, it was, we we're about, I don't know, we we're about five feet from stepping onto a coral snake. And uh, this guy came, swerved at us, almost hit us. I thought, this is the weirdest thing. You think this total stranger's taking your life? And then when he stops and gets out, I'm like, oh, good. Now he's going to come cut us. He's going to come cut my head off because he didn't hit us with his car. But that was my, uh, that was my only like scary experience with a snake. And then a crazy driver too, but turned out to be good. But yeah, no, we don't have a lot. We don't have nasty bugs here. Like where I live, like literally, I don't think I would ever fear about any type of poisoning or, I mean, bee stings is the worst we ever get or, or a hornet, right? But we don't have any venomous spiders. We don't have venomous snakes. And I kind of like it that way. And even as such, I'm like, oh man, I hate living here because, well, yesterday it was snowing all day long. And that was on April 22nd. <laughs> and it's like, this place sucks. There's no green yet. Everything's brown. It was like nice and warm the next day, the day before. And now it's snowing and windy. But then sometimes in the in the summertime, I'm like, oh, I kind of like walking barefoot. And I don't have to worry about a thing. I guess we got to worry about ticks a little bit more now. Ticks are kind of becoming a problem. And the Lyme disease. But I'm excited for summertime. I'm gonna get some. Uh, do you, why not? Oh, heat. Yeah, I hate. I hate it. Used to not huh. bother me at all. I was indifferent to temperature, but you don't. The older you get, the less indifferent you are to those things. Yeah. It's like you use up all you your always... quality when you're young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you get more crotchety and sensitive to things as you get older. Hey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Funny>. <laughs> Especially stupid. Yeah. That's the first <laughs> thing that leaves. 
<laughs> yeah, I've always been sensitive to stupid. Uh, you know, <laughs> so have I, but for the sake of... You a, yeah, you can tolerate it more when you're young. I, you know, I've never been able to tolerate it unless it was really cute. Okay. Yeah. And and then only short term, but Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got my uh DR six fifty and uh I picked up a piece of aluminum and so I'm gonna make a bash plate for the front of it. One thing they say with those bikes, like I got really, really aggressive knobbies on it, and I'm I'm shocked that they're DOT approved, but they are. Uh but they're they look like a full on dirt bike tire. And uh the one thing people say I, I kinda one of the reasons I want this bike is just for exploring the back roads, right? Uh, like I can go to the Bow River, which is some of the some amazing fly fishing, and it's you know I'm about ten minutes away, if that. And I know I can get there all by gravel, but it, I don't like driving in gravel in a car, right? Because all you hear is clink, clink, bang, bang, bang. It's hard on the vehicle. I'm the one that has to crawl under there and maintain it, and you know look after my CV joints and this and that. So. We're, we're exactly like one kilometer down a gravel road, and that's how I like to keep it. I don't don't want to be driving gravel all that much, but uh, one thing with these knobby tires is that often it'll pick up the rocks and then throw them at the engine. And so there's nothing protecting the front of the engine. They say it's actually a fairly common thing if you're doing a lot of gravel riding. They say you need a bash plate. Otherwise, you might just stick a rock. It just, you know, smacks that magnesium and uh, pop. Now you got a hole in your case. So I'm, I'm going to weld up a bash guard for it. Yeah, hopefully, I don't know if I'll get that done this weekend. I probably won't have time. Actually, in the next couple of weeks because we're busy with Etsy. But, man, this summer I want to put on some some miles. I took my youngest for the ride on it the other night, and he was the first kid to go on my on my motorbike. And, oh, man, he was just like the biggest grin all night long after that ride. It was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun putting the old breeze on your knees, you know? Oh, yeah. I know if, um if they're if those engines are anything like an enduro, yeah, it needs a uh, rock guard on it because I was just on a normal everyday gravel road, going the speed limit and put a rock and uh, took a giant chunk of my head out. So completely ruined oh, wow. the engine. Yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. it completely ruined it. But yeah, and I'm like, okay, so you go just go like ebay or something buy a new bottom half or top half but it's like that's too much work for, for the time that it would take me to make an aluminum bash guard which is going to be handy anyways too right if i ever decide to take it off road uh there's a place you can ride right along the river and you might have to hop a couple of logs well that'll come in handy then too uh, you know it's funny i was actually originally thinking of uh, making a light duty one and i was like so close to doing it. i was like okay i got the bike in the garage let me go get this material and i, I thought this would be great material because a lot of a lot of these guards, if they're just for rocks and you're not actually going to be doing like heavy off-roading, you just want to protect for gravel, they're plastic, right? And I thought, I'm going to make it out of Kydex because how easy is that to shape? <laughs> and then I got thinking about it. I'm like, okay, so it's a, it's a summer day. It's like 90 degrees outside. I'm cruising down this gravel road and I pull over. I shut my engine off. What, what's, the, what's the heat of the engine going to do to the Kydex? <laughs> You know, I was going to make a whole YouTube video about it. I actually had my camera set up. And could you imagine if I put this on YouTube? Because it's cold right now. 
It might not melt, but I'm, I was like, holy crap, how could I? I'm like, oh, this is a thermal form plastic. It's really easy to manipulate. You just heat it up to like 250 degrees and it's, it's not really wobbly, you know, but I was like, how could I miss that? <laughs> I'm glad I didn't, even from a personal level without well, filming it, I'm glad I didn't waste my time trying to make a Kydex <laughs> bash card. <laughs> well, I will tell you this, um, there's a, uh, some cold weather, extreme northern law enforcement folks that are moving away from Kydex altogether because it's not just extreme heat and extreme cold it becomes brittle. And I, I really yeah. didn't think it did that, but they're saying it does, you know. Hmm. Do you know who Aaron Goff is? I certainly do. Yeah. So I remember he did a video. He probably did it like three or four years ago where he was testing Kydex in extreme cold. And at first he put an ice bath and then I believe he went right all the way down to, to liquid nitrogen. Uh, but he would put it in like dry ice and he actually said, and, and it's hard to say too, like, you know, there's a difference between doing a one-time test and like trying to break something. Whereas it being your weapon exposed to like minus 35 degrees day in, day out for weeks or months is a completely different test, right? So that's interesting. I'm surprised because when also I watched his video. Also depends on the kind of kydex material you use because there are differences yeah 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 and it's just like anything like once you start outsourcing it um you know it can be marketed as the exact same thing unless i don't know unless if you buy kydex i'm not sure if that is a specific brand and everything's tight because i know there's different types they're basically a thermal form plastic but and they've got similar names but they're not actually kydex and you know if you go to tandy leather uh it looks like Kydex has the little trademark thing underneath it, so um, I'm not sure. But there's, I know there's different ones with different patterns and stuff like yeah. that. But I've I've got some Kydex sheets that cost me oh close to ten dollars each, and it's just a one foot square sheet of Kydex, but it's uh, mm -hmm. fiber reinforced Kydex. Um, and I, I got it cool. for a specific thing. Uh, and <clears throat> it is guaranteed to be, to go through uh, extreme heat and cold thermal cycles. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's it's the hardest kydex I've ever had to try to thermal form. You're like, really? But yeah. everything comes with a price, you know. Yeah. If yeah, you make it yeah. more sturdy, yeah, it's going to be tougher to thermoform but uh i uh i'm gonna when i get my workshop back up and running in maryland i started doing this uh building a vacuum press for it uh oh that'd be cool but um you know everything i put on hold until i moved here yeah uh and just when yeah, i think you, i was ready to start rolling again now my electric company threw a, a wrench in the works What's that? Oh, no, they want to charge me as a commercial business because no one lives in the oh, building. Uh, and it's double the price of residential electricity. I wow. can't. I literally can't afford to run my shop. You yeah. Because it's not money producing. I just do things in there like I want to do for now. And, you know, anything I do and put on YouTube isn't going to be, you know, popular and 
world famous anyway. So. Now you don't know that, Todd. Well, you know, the kind of people that do the things that I do um, aren't. You know, then you get yeah, uh, yeah the very popular people like Matt that does does absolutely nothing of value, but he's so popular, yeah. it's pathetic. And I'm a fan, yeah. so don't get me wrong, people. Um, and I think I'm a fan because he has succeeded in spite of doing offering absolutely nothing of value. <laughs> yeah. Other than I, I remember seeing his channel. Yeah. I remember seeing uh, Demolition Ranch when he had about 30,000 subscribers. And I remember watching him like, I kind of like what he's doing. Like he's doing some fun stuff, shooting fun stuff, but he was a little too hyper for my tastes. And I think him and I are very close in age. I think he might be a little younger than me, but I remember like, ah, a little bit too much hype, the camera hype and stuff like that. But no, I, you know, he's done very well with it. So sometimes maybe that's a magic formula. Well, he started um, from day one uh, wanting to do just as an outlet, right? He created this character as an outlet, you know, a lot of stress going to college, veterinary school, building a small family, you know, a new family. And then he learned how to become, how to be famous. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's very intelligent. Um, He's got a very intelligent wife. Uh, And together, you know, they're YouTube gold. So, yeah. Yeah, it's cool to see. It's, uh, I like it. I like the fact that that can happen, you know? Oh, yeah, um, don't get me wrong. I, I believe yeah. he, if he was competing with somebody like the level of ignorance called PewDiePie for YouTube fame, <laughs> it should have been Matt. Yeah. You know, so I'm happy for him. Uh, yeah, I think to Americans it should have been Matt. PewDiePie has a European appeal to him, though. I think the majority of his, I, I don't want to say air quote fame, but viewership is foreign. Yeah. I haven't seen him do analytics in a long time, but from what I can yeah, tell, no, he's, most of his viewership is foreign. Yeah. Good old YouTube world. Hey, it's it's crazy. It's and, so f- <laughs> it's fun. I enjoy it. <laughs> I wanted to joke about Aaron Golf, but we got off the subject too quickly. Um, but you know, what does an Aussie know about cold weather? But yeah, well, he lives in Canada now. Yeah, um, I mean, for a long time. Like one video, uh, he sounds Toronto. like a New Yorker, right? One yesterday's video sounds like an Australian. You're like, will you make up your mind? Oh, okay, I like I don't really watch. Did he do a video yesterday? Yesterday or the day before, he was building. Uh, he's a smart guy. Yeah. Oh God, he's a CNC genius. But uh, yeah, he's uh, self-taught. That's a he crazy was, part. Uh, building new fixture blocks for his knives. Oh, okay. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Uh, one thing. I was going to ask when we were kind of talking about the vacuum forming. Do you follow Selby Knives on Instagram? Mm, don't think so. Okay. Uh, he's a cool guy. I actually did a Instagram live with him 
in the earlier part of the pandemic, he was like, he's trying to do like an Instagram live every evening for two weeks just to provide some distraction. This was when things were like super weird, you know, maybe March last year, something like that, maybe a year ago. But, um, so he has some cool knives, like his knives, uh, they're called the Folsom. It's got like the Folsom Necker, the Folsom Bigger. He's, he's got a Folsom Folder. And so he's pretty much all CNC. He does the grinding of the blades himself. I think he gets them all laser cut the blanks. And so he's not like a, a one-off knife maker. He has a series, but does them all in his garage in California. Super, I like the guy. I really like Selby Nice. He's a cool dude. Um, but he did a vacuum form table. And so he's got uh, basically like negative molds uh, or positive molds, whatever, made of his sheaths. And so he does a fold-over sheath. And so he's got four of these, which can fit on one sheet of Kydex, heats it up. Uh, I think he uses one of those t-shirt presses for putting like vinyl onto t-shirts, sets it on there, puts the thing on, boom, hits it with a vacuum. Uh, beautiful, like just sucks it down right there. And then he takes that sheet, puts it on his CNC router, cuts it out. And then he has this really cool thing. And it's like this long tray and it's it's got like maybe a quarter inch opening. Think of... Uh, like a drain gutter in a garage, right? Like the floor slopes down a bit and then you've got the gutter and out of this gutter comes hot air. And so he'll take this, this piece of Kydex. It's got the profile on each side of it, of the knife. He puts the middle and he has a little kind of tab machined in the middle so he can tell exactly where's the center, puts it on this hot air thing for a moment, folds it over and just beautiful sheath, perfect fit. Cause he also does like CNC machines, the handles for his knives and stuff, but uh, if you go check his stuff out, I saw it and I'm, I don't think I would ever want to set up to the point where I was that automated. Uh, but seeing the way he did it in his garage, I'm like, that is really cool. Like I could kind of see value in that. I actually really love that idea. But for me, I would get bored out of my mind if I had to do it like that. Um, having said that right now, <laughs> I'm machining signs for Etsy. <laughs> and I'm doing like two, two to 300 of the exact same process to pieces of wood. So maybe I wouldn't mind making knives along that way. I think he's got a lot of cool stuff figured out. And I, I think, you know, there's not a lot of, not, not a money in knife making one off unless you're charging more than people will pay. Uh, I think people like that, like Aaron Goff, I, I think is a business model for a custom knife, maybe not necessarily like fully handmade, but a custom knife. Uh, I definitely think that's something that's like, it's very interesting to me. I keep looking, I'm like, huh, I wonder. It's kind of interesting, you know? But uh, I would actually put that as a recommendation for me. If you want, if you guys are into knife making or makers, good dude, uh, check out Selby Knives. I believe it's S-E-L-B-Y Knives on Instagram. I'll link that in the show notes, I think. We figure that part of the technology out. <laughs> yep, and, and if you didn't notice, uh, Can Am Soup now has an Instagram. So, what did we do? Yes, we do. <laughs> we just made you our didn't... first post, How? and I tagged you in it. <laughs> How? So you literally you're telling the listeners on the recording bef- before you told me. <laughs> well, I was, well, there you I go. was actually the talking fact. to you. Um, cause this is a conversation between two friends. So I'm talking to you. We just have people eavesdropping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let me see. I'm just on the old gram right now. Was it on my simple little life? You take me? No. Jeremy, the Gertz. Yep. Okay. I got to check it out, but cool. 
Well, it hasn't showed it. Oh, Can-Am Soup. Look at that. We don't have... I got to send you our artwork for yeah, the... Yeah, uh, and I put that on that there. Fan, <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go, guys. We have a Can-Am underscore soup on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I didn't Just, want the underscore, it, it, but they made me do it. Instagram yeah. forced that. Yeah, it's all part of their government mind control stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's cool. And then, so... As I kind of, I think I quickly mentioned earlier, we've been recording this for, what are we at now? Three, four months? I think. And yeah, our conversations are getting good. The In the beginning was a little rocky. And then I think we were also a little bit too much. Some of the episodes we both agreed, like, let's not put this out there. <laughs> this could be construed <laughs> as like, just really way too much aggression. But um, we've got five. As we're right now, we've got, well, I think live we've got four episodes. I put one live on Tuesday, I think, and then I've got five that'll be uploading today. And I think where we're going to try and go is every Friday. So we record this on Friday mornings, bright and early, and then hopefully Friday afternoons, this will be up. So that's what we're going to keep shooting for a weekly schedule and um, hope you guys listening appreciate it. Like I've been listening to our episodes and, and part of the editing process and I'm impressed with our audio to tell you the truth, Todd. Like I'm like... I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts that are like 10 or 20 episodes and under. And compared to what we do, I don't want to like be braggadocious or anything, but our audio is pretty freaking tight. And uh, I'm I'm actually really excited. I'm stoked about our podcast. It's um, a lot of fun. It's fun to talk to you. But then when I edit it and play it back, I'm like, holy crap, this sounds like it was produced in a studio somewhere, you know? Well, you know, that, that goes back to, and it shows a lot to our forward thinking in the beginning and we didn't just yeah it's true throw something together and do it we were like hey do you want to do a podcast absolutely that'd be great and be fun how do we make it sound okay from the beginning because you had yeah. gone through some struggles early on i mean not struggles but the, the testing phase early on with your own podcast simple little life podcast yeah. awesome uh, but also we both listen to podcasts that are almost unlistenable because of the quality of recording. The content is great, yeah. but mm -hmm. then it's almost unlistenable, almost like YouTube videos. You get a great content creator with a 50 year old camera and you're like, ah, yeah. but then you have people with a professional level studio that just put out drivel. So yeah, we wanted yeah. to be, uh, we were confident we had a good product, but we also wanted it packaged well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, we ended up both. I remember when I first started doing the pot, like my own podcast, simple little life, like I bought a sure SM 58, which is a great microphone has some drawbacks. Um, but it works totally. If you're on a budget, that's a that's a good option. And then I had a little Zoom recorder, and I'd go into my car because of all the fabric in there. Generally, you know, for people starting out, if you want to do anything to, to make a half decent recording, uh, if you have leather seats, it doesn't sound as good. But if you've got a cloth interior in your car, boom, it it's probably one of the best places, the least echoey you have available to you. You know, even your bedroom or your home office, unless you've got a lot of uh, even like a fully carpeted floor, you need a lot of things on the wall to kind of knock out the echo. Um, but then I went and got the roadcaster and I built a little studio thingamadauber under the stairs 
and you know we've we've both got like sure sm7b's which have i think have been one of the biggest improvements i mean obviously we started I, I remember I, I showed you a picture of the roadcaster. I'm like, oh, I got this new recorder. And a few days later, you sent me a picture. Look what Amazon just dropped off. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and so we've both got this channel, this this uh, possibility to record like, what is it? Seven or eight different channels at a time, but we only use one. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but heck, wh- whatever. You know, we got the jingle jangles we can do and, and stuff. Uh but I noticed because you remember the beginning days with the SM58, if you weren't talking straight onto it, your voice, well, there's a couple, one episode that was unusable because yeah. it was high, low, high, low. And I find yeah. these, these sure SM7Bs, man, like they do such a good job at keeping an even level, even if you're kind of moving around a bit when you're talking. And that annoyed me because increase. I can't sit still and talk directly into a microphone because that's what it feels like. Are you, you know, so are you turning are you moving around just as much as he did before with the 58? Oh yeah. But Oh wow. Cuz I, I, I did I, some, hear, and I think uh, like you're sitting there. I did some uh reading on Sure on their uh forum on how to set yeah. up this thing so it doesn't sound like I'm moving around. Yeah. And no cuz when, funny I, when thing I listen is, back to it I'm like it took me, you know, hours of reading to discover exactly what you told me in two seconds. So, um, what was that? What did I tell you? Oh, change something in somewhere in settings and something, something. Uh, yeah. And like we used to say in maintenance, you know, the switch next to the guy standing over there. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, one little tiny setting and then I can move around and, you know, move my head. And I do have the, uh, the heel mics boom, but uh, that I move with me a little bit, uh, but I don't want mm-hmm. that sound creaking. So uh, I set up some settings where I can at least turn my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, because like I've been, like I said, I've been listening to our our podcast, and I'm like, oh man, these things sound good. So I'm I'm pretty stoked about that. When I finally get to move downstairs after I get the internet installed at the end of the month. Um, I want to have this boom above me. Yep. If possible, I want it to come down either from either. Well, it's going to come down from above me, whether it's from the ceiling or I just put an extension on the base of the boom. So it comes cranes over me. Oh yeah. Yeah. That way I don't have to worry about moving. It'll always be centralized. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a difference. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Like, it, it's also easier to podcast, like, with, because I've got a boom arm now and, you know, move around a little bit and you got this better microphone. Uh, you know, putting a little money into that stuff, you don't have to think so hard. Because before when we were using the SM58s, it was like, okay. And I just had a little stand where it came straight up from my desk in front of me. My arms weren't free and clear if I wanted to, like, check something out on the interwebs or, like, adjust something on my roadcaster. Uh, it was a lot less relaxing to podcast but now it's like you hit the record button and chat and then if i want to like lean over take a sip of coffee i do that i can recline in my chair and i just grab the mic and it comes with me you know so it's uh you know it's worth it it's fun um yeah i guess that was kind of a rabbit trail but we hope for you the listener that you appreciate it and you enjoy it and uh, we're having a blast i'm 
Man, I like this podcast. <laughs> I got a question for you as I was actually thinking about it. Are you going to listen to our episodes or no? Yes. Or does it bug you? Yeah, you, you can. Because before you said you didn't like the sound of your own voice, and I think oh, you no, got a I great voice. Oh, no, I still can't stand it, but God, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah. That's funny, because I've heard podcasters that like, oh, I never listen to my podcast. I couldn't. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I've been listening to ours like crazy. I'm like, he is good. <laughs> I think it's the only way you get better. Yeah, true. Is review yeah, your you, own work. You can't, you know. Yeah, like that old saying: "You can't expect what you won't inspect." Exactly, so, and you know, um, yeah. I don't think we're at the point now where we feel the need to give each other constructive criticism because, just let's face it, we're perfect and we have a great podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, I was, I, like I was telling you before we hit the record button, listen, I listened to five podcasts in two days of ours. And I, I didn't know this, but like there'll be a week or two between, but I'll pick up the same analogy and harp on it to prove a point, like the windmill and, and how terrible and how ungreen they are. And I was kind of like, ah, when I, when I had so much of our podcasts, like is, well, it was, yeah, it's like basically a day. The only thing I listened to a day or two was us. And and I noticed there's a few things. It's like I need to lay off on that a little bit. I feel like it's you know it's it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, there's a point where we we both value the truth and free thinking, even if that's unpopular. At, at the same time, like I've got relatives that believe the same thing I do, but their entire feed is preaching about it and yelling about it, and it's kind of like I value your opinion. I'm glad you're sharing it. But what else do you do? You know, like, do you have anything interesting? So it's, I think a nice balance is nice. You know, we talk about hummingbirds and we, you know, we talk about making stuff and then and a little politics, a little social stuff. But it's like, you know what? Hopefully the, we can reach the balance. So when people have a completely different uh, political or social view than us, it's not so much of that crap that they're going to be like, oh, brother, that's all they're talking about, right? They can gloss past it and say, yeah, these guys are nut jobs. COVID-19 is a real thing, and the government is doing their best for us. Uh, I'm going to leave that because I like it when you hear they talk about what they're doing in the shop, you know? So I think that's the balance that we're striving for. Not there yet, but we're working at it. Well, it's, you know, the, the show is, at least for me, is intended to be a conversation if you were that you're that you the audience are over overhearing not mm -hmm. necessarily you're eavesdropping on us listen yeah you're eavesdropping on a conversation between two friends right and right now our world is in turmoil and it has been for quite some time so what do friends talk about the most predominant thing in your life mm -hmm. you know some people talking about what was on tv last night people talk about what's in the news, you know, but always it's going to be what's the most predominant or more important in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, right now the world's in turmoil. So we're going to cover a little bit of that turmoil more often than, you know, we ordinarily would. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a very, very good way to put it. You know, I don't want to talk about COVID every week, but you know, there's so much um, disinformation going on out there, you know, you feel and, a, and things change a moral week. obligation to point some things out. <clears throat> mm -hmm. You always need two sides of a story. 
And the problem with opinion. COVID is I think it's a three-sided issue, if not more, hmm. because you yeah. have, you know, I believe that it, COVID's genesis was not in a food market. It didn't jump from a bat to human, or now what they're trying to say, oh, no, it went from a bat to an intermediate animal to human. Well, make up your mind, yeah. will you? No, it came out of a mm-hmm. one of the biological research laboratories in Wuhan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't tell me there's not one there. Uh, I've seen it. Not on TV either. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it got out. It happened. Yeah. Uh, people are infected with things, working in laboratories all the time. It's an accident. They get out. Just not all of them kill the world, cause zombieism, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, or release a new strain of the flu. Yeah. And I think what you say, too, is that it is more than just one-sided thing. It's something happened and people have said, hey, we can use this to do this. And people are using COVID to do things, things that they would never have been able to do before. They're like, hey, we've got an excuse to try this out. We can push this. And it's become a political thing, which it should never have been. I mean, if this is purely healthcare, it's purely healthcare. And... Um, yeah, it's it's way more than the virus, right? It's it's what's built around the virus and what people have turned around the virus that kind of and that's where the tension gets in. It's like, you know, there's airlines already that are not letting you fly unless you prove your COVID shot. Well, what about my diphtheria shot? What about you know all these different shots that that everybody gets that if nobody got it, it could be bad. Like I'm by no means am I an anti-vaxer. Um, I just know that there, there's six terrifying facts about this COVID vaccine that honestly, if it came down to it, at where it's at now, I'm going to put a bullet in someone before I let them put a needle in me. Right. And, you know, I always think like, is the vaccine only, uh, effective if you post about it on your social medias afterwards, you know, because like, oh, and this one guy today, picture of him getting a vaccine now in Alberta, they lowered it to the age 40. So I'm eligible. Uh, and he's getting shot and he's got this picture of himself and underneath he just put, you're welcome. And I'm like, wow, I didn't thank you. So what's the you're welcome for, you know? Um, but at any rate, um, yeah, no, it's crazy. So. We were talking about it and uh, different viewpoints. If you disagree with the way we think about stuff, that's that's totally fine. You know, and if there's literally not enough here that you can enjoy, then this isn't the show for you. We don't apologize for it. Uh, this is the show for people like us. You know, if I was really into sewing and making dresses, I would find a podcast about that. And uh, that's what I'd go to. So Absolutely. either way, we hope if you If you don't it. like this podcast, that's okay. I don't like Greta or your podcast, so. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't <laughs> listen to yours, so you don't have to listen to ours. But <laughs> no, no, we do thank you for listening. I've got a run. I've got about 400 signs that need to be worked on today. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, Todd. I appreciate your time. It was a good That's conversation. Really, My Zero agenda, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
All right, folks. Hopefully we'll be uh, back at you and kind of loosely committing to a Friday schedule. Friday afternoons, your favorite podcast comes out, Can-Am Soup. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and I got to work on Thanks the for listening, y'all. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you got to do that because you, you, you're better at that for sure. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> right on. All right, we'll talk to y'all later.